Hey, greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West here, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. You gotta light them up before they burn it down. Hey, greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Andy No is an independent journalist and photographer. He lives under threat for his reporting and expertise on the American Antifa and the militant left. He has testified before the United States Congress, appeared on countless television shows, radio programs, and podcasts. He is the author of Unmasked, Inside Antifa's Radical Plan to Destroy America, and he is currently the editor-at-large for The Post Millennial, and we are being joined by Andy No right now from an undisclosed location. I'll put, that, put it that way. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, Andy. Thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you. You know, I find it unconscionable. Um, I spent 22 years in the United States military. And when you share with me off camera that you have had to leave our country for threat of your life because of this leftist group called Antifa, uh, that really does incense me. Uh, so I apologize to that uh, for, to you. But you have been at the forefront of this. And so give us an understanding. Where did this organization emanate from? Where did it come from? Because it seems like since 2016, with the election of Donald Trump as president, this domestic terrorist group has really taken front stage. Um, you're exactly right. 2016, I think you're the first person of who's interviewed me who's actually been pointed accurately to around that, um, that year. So Antifa has existed on the fringes of some large American cities since the 80s, but not really in a form like we see today. I mean, they would have, uh, their numbers are really tiny and they were the fringes of the far left. And that continued being the case until roughly around 2016 when their, their propaganda, their membership, the messaging and the, the brand um, exploded because of the um, the prior year, the election campaign of, uh, of Donald Trump, and of course with him um, winning the uh, nomination to represent the, uh, the Republican Party and then the actual election and him winning the election, it provided them with the help of the mainstream media, I'm referring to Antifa, um, the ability to really mainstream their violent extremist message. And I, I cannot um, overstate that particular part. They engage in acts of um, street thuggery on one end, all the way to domestic terrorism where they actually kill people. So um, you mentioned a, a moment ago that I've had to leave the United States. And um, some people who follow my work already know that, but others who may be hearing it for the first time are, are really quite shocked. Um, and actually, that's often the reaction I get from even people who are sympathetic to me. They're like, no way. 
why there's no really reason for you to have to leave. Well, I'll, I'll explain it this way, and, and I think your listeners will, will understand. So um, at local jurisdictions, we've had, um, we're witnessing, experiencing um, institutional capture uh, that has really compromised all levels of government. So if you're all the way in, let's say, a suburb in Texas or Georgia or in the Midwest somewhere, you might not kind of re- you might not realize how bad things are in places like the county of where Seattle is or where Portland, Oregon is, mm-hmm. and some of these other places where you have um, from um, the state to the county to the city to the police department really influenced um, by radical leftist politics. Now, the the death of George Floyd in 2020 um, poured feel on the fire of the prior um, three and a half years of the uh, of the leftist reaction to Donald Trump. So that turbocharged um, leftists and, and liberals and Democrats to be so much more supportive of political violence and also to bring to put so much political pressure on law enforcement to not do anything in the face of far left political violence. So with figures like me who are branded as conservative or right wing, um, when I've been the victim of multiple attacks, um, violent beatings by Antifa in public in downtown Portland, where I'm from, um, law enforcement has been unable to respond. I don't know if it's um, if there's a conspiracy beyond that. Nobody, um, there was one person who was eventually um, prosecuted out of dozens who carried out attacks with me, although when the case went to trial, the judge acquitted this individual. So in a nutshell, that's kind of the situation in places uh, in some places in America, it's not all of America, it's yeah. certain places, but um, the far left have really been able to exploit their dominance, uh, c- cultural political dominance in some areas of the country where they can essentially throw the rule of law out of the window. So in places like Portland, you're not going to be able to organize publicly um, a conservative rally or protest because people will show up and engage in acts of violence and you'll be entirely on your own. If you have volunteers who act as volunteer security and they happen to try to protect individuals, they will get prosecuted as has happened for the last five years in the city of Portland. So uh, the, the situation is really dire when you also couple that with the fact that public safety in places like Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco have um, dropped to the lowest levels we've seen in recent decades. I mean, in in 2020, 2021, as a result of the politics of 2020, Portland, among a dozen other cities, experienced historic surges in homicides and violent crimes. Mm -hmm. So the, the legacy of the George Floyd violence and the mainstreaming of the radical far left is really far-reaching. And um, my book, um, Unmasked, uh, chronicles this and explains this. You know, it's interesting to me is that, you know, we have the Department of Justice that, you know, wanted to designate parents showing up at school board meetings as domestic terrorists. 
or now we have the Southern Poverty Law Center that is referring to uh, you know groups that support education, freedom, school choice, like Moms for Liberty, as as hate groups. But yet we have an organization. I mean, a very well-organized and financed organization. I'd love to hear your thoughts about who's the, the financer behind this, that are going out and purposefully committing acts of violence. You know, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, and we saw what Antifa did there at the police training facility, you know, firing upon police officers. But yet, how is it that this organization has not been declared a domestic terrorist organization, right along with Jane's Revenge and to a later, lesser extent, maybe Black Lives Matter, and how is it that their leadership has not been, you know, arrested or decimated? How, how come they're not sitting in some kind of, you know, January 6th gulag as well? Uh, I'm so glad you brought up Atlanta and the fact that I'm speaking with somebody from there. You can probably provide particular insight. So uh, for those who are unaware, for more than a year and a half, actually since since 2021, there's this forested area mm -hmm. um, that's part of... Um, city property southeast of the city center of Atlanta that has been designated for a long time um, and with the funding approval to be redeveloped to be developed into a law enforcement and first responders training facility it's in a wooded area there's not really much there in the surrounding area there's some uh, residential homes there's not really much else and um, in 2021, um, far-left extremists that do include Antifa, they include eco-extremists and other just leftist radicals have descended on this area to create this autonomous zone occupation where they're going mm -hmm. to build up um, encampments with people from all over the United States, the majority of whom are not from Atlanta, not from yes. Georgia, and even internationally, getting people their bodies on the ground so that construction cannot happen because in their eyes, they don't want law enforcement to be better equipped, better trained, because whenever there are instances of um, police excessive force or uh, law enforcement involved um, death in the pursuit of a suspect, all of that is very, very powerful propaganda and recruit, recruitment um, tools for their members and also to radicalize people. So um, there have been a number of sabotages, violent sabotages by these um, uh, occupiers that have eventually turned deadly. I was reporting on this um, since 2022, and a lot of my reporting didn't really go far beyond um, those who cover, um, who follow my reporting on Antifa. The local press ignored it a lot. But I saw all the warning signs of this is going to really spiral in something way beyond um, just hippies occupying like tents in the middle of a forested area. It's because these extremists are given these really radical um, texts and propaganda telling them to, encouraging them to carry out acts of violence against the state, against police, against anybody who would dare to oppose them. So they began to sabotage the construction equipment, terrorizing the construction workers. And there have been a number of raids by um Atlanta police, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and other state law enforcement agencies responding to the violence, in which, by the way, the violence has spilled out to them attacking people, like drive, regular people of the public accidentally driving into this near, nearby area. Um, and in January of this year, 
um, when police were trying to clear out the encampment because they kept coming back. Some people would get arrested and then more would come. Um, there, there was a, a shooting involving one of yeah. their militants in the tent. So he, he shot and seriously injured um, a state trooper. Um, law enforcement returned fire, killing him. And, and then that, that person has been turned into a martyr. Antifa then, days later, organized a direct action through Peachtree um, uh, Street in, in Atlanta and set a police vehicle on fire. They're smashing up businesses and buildings one by one in a revenge attack. A number of them were um, charged with domestic terrorism over that. Um, then weeks later in March, and this is where the SPLC angle comes in. Yeah, the um, lawyer, one of them was a lawyer for SPLC. That's right. So the irony of the SPLC calling various uh, individuals and groups dangerous hate groups or dangerous hateful extremists is that one of the staff attorneys for the SPLC was arrested in March in, a, um, in this forested area outside of Atlanta and was among dozens charged uh, with domestic terrorism because there was a violent firebombing attack on construction equipment involving around 200 masked militants who ostensibly gathered for a music festival nearby. That was the excuse. But they marched in the music festival. They changed their clothes because there were all these drones and camera footage by law mm -hmm. enforcement, which they've released a video. You can see them changing their clothes. So it was a plan. Um, they did millions of damages that, and during that firebombing attack. Yes, and an SPLC attorney is, is one of the suspects in that case. So... Um, yeah, you know, Antifa, uh, the far left, it's not just a West Coast uh, problem. You're seeing them organize in suburban Georgia, of all mm -hmm. places, and they've been able to be very successfully get people from across the country and even uh, across international borders um, to be uh, part of this uh, stop cop city movement. That's what they call it. It's amazing to me, uh, you know, George Santayana, the... Spanish political philosopher once said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. When I look at the early 1930s, mid-1930s Germany, and of course when Adolf Hitler had the brown shirts, and the brown shirts were always about you know, creating fear, intimidation, coercion, and ultimately violence. It seems to me that the progressive socialist left in America has turned Antifa, James Revenge, who is out there uh, vandalizing churches and attacking pro-life uh, advocacy centers, they have turned them into their new brown shirts to try to instill the fear and intimidation. You know, someone like you, who you, you, we have a freedom of the press and freedom of speech and freedom of expression, yet their intimidation has forced you to, to even leave the country. Do you see the left in America being complicit? Do you see them as, you know, fostering this group and providing protection for this group and funding as well? So you're right to bring up 1930s uh, Germany during the Weimar Republic, because actually the origins of Antifa come from that time. Mm -hmm. they, the original Antifa group, capital A, was a violent paramilitary force of the uh, Communist Party. In, during the Weimar years, and they were involved in a lot of street violence, much similar to what we're doing today, that created the destabilizing effects that allowed for the rise of a um, of Hitler eventually. Um, fast forward decades to, to today, you know, um, 
when I wrote Unmasked and during uh, in 2021 when it came out and I did lots of interviews about it, I uh, I went on a lot of conservative media and I was asked at that time um, a similar question to what you just asked, like. The Democrats are basically um, behind Antifa, aren't they? Or they're they're the ones to benefit from the Antifa violence. And at that time, you know, I'm not a particularly partisan figure, and my goal is not um, to to make an argument for the right through my reporting. So at that time, I was like, mm, I mean, they're they're both on the left, yes, but I don't blame this on Democrats. However. Um, Two years after uh, I made those statements, and I have time to think about it a, li- a bit more, and particularly also seeing the evolution of Antifa, because they have changed in the the post President Trump years, and in, in some ways they've they've, t- as you mentioned, Jane's Revenge, that was made up of a lot of Antifa militants. It was basically their project of targeting um, Christian organizations and churches as acts of revenge because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Um, a campaign of terrorism against uh, American citizens. Um, you can see Antifa morphing into what I call Trantifa now, which is where they take on the cause of transitioning minors and childrens and defending um, through violence um, drag story hours for children and things like that. Yeah. And over and over, um, the things that Antifa are willing to... Um, carry out violence for um, almost always actually are also the same things that Democrats advocate for. Um, and so very clearly, uh, we can see on the ground, um, Democrat politicians, Democrat party actually does really benefit from from Antifa, almost to the degree that they that Antifa act as in as an unofficial paramilitary, the Democrat party. Um, and I don't mean to say that there is an official relationship of where there's directing from the DNC. That there's no evidence of that. Um, and I doubt And Antifa's goals ultimately don't line up with that of the Democrat Party. However, for now, um, they've shared mutual hatred with um, Republican voters, the American right, traditionalists, um, Christians who practice in, and have beliefs uh, in Orthodox um, uh, Christian beliefs. Um, all that is the shared enemy um, uh, between Antifa and, and, and Democrats. And you see quite often, almost always, um, when Antifa carry out acts of violence against people on the right, Democrats um, remain silent, intentionally yeah. so. Well, you, you just brought up a very interesting point that, I mean, I had never thought of. But when you talk about this trans-Tifa thing, what immediately came to my mind was Aubrey Elizabeth Hale in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, here's a, you know, a, a, a biological female that thinks she's a male, and she has two uh, semi-automatic ri- rifles and a, and a, a pistol, and because of the law that was just recently passed there in the state of Tennessee, where I went to the University of Tennessee, to protect children uh, from hormonal therapies, puberty blockers, you know, these gender transitioning surgeries. I mean, she breaks into a Christian school, kills six, three, uh, nine-year-olds, and there's nothing that is said about it. As a matter of fact, they try to make her out and to, to, to be in the victim 
Do you think that that is, a, is an example of this trans-Tifa uh, theory that you have? Yes. Uh, I mean, it, 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 this is still one of the most disturbing instances of uh, radicalization, uh, I think, this year for me personally, because you have um, a transgender identifying um, mass shooter who um, intentionally targeted children and, and killed children at a school. And um, there were transgender activist groups, radical militant ones who released statements um, treating uh, Hale as one of the victims of yeah. the mass shooting. And it wasn't just but the thing is, it didn't just stop there. These weren't just extremist radical groups that put out statements. When um, a very large gathering happened at the state capitol in Tennessee days mm -hmm. after the mass shooting to protest against legislation banning um, uh, the medical transitioning of minors, there was a moment of silence that was held for victims of uh, the mass shooting in Nashville. And the organizers and all in attendance put up seven fingers yeah. to represent seven victims. Now, here's the thing. There were six victims who were killed at the, at the school yeah. slash church. And they included Hale as one of the victims. So this is their ideology. They believe, and you can see it also in the propaganda that they bring to um, any trans or drag related protests for their cause. They will wear shirts, and there's, there have been Democrat politicians who have done this, wear shirts, for example, that say, um, protect trans kids, and then there's an image of a knife. Um, mm. Trans rights or else, and there are images of semi-automatic rifles and pistols. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they're very open and comfortable with actually alluding to threats of deadly violence to get their cause. So really, we, you know, I shouldn't, at the end of the day, I shouldn't really be disturbed that uh, Hale was treated as, um, eulogized as a martyr, essentially, yeah. for their cause. Um, because they, the cause of Antifa, Trantifa, the radical far left in the U.S. is really, um, you will submit to us, uh, and if you don't, you will be maimed and or killed. That That's, in a simple, simplified sentence, that is essentially their their uh, their agenda and their their modus operandi, which is why they feel so comfortable in dehumanizing um, the the opposition. You know, it's intentional when they're describing regular Americans as Nazi scums who need to be killed, and they put out all this violent propaganda and imagery about shooting their opponents in the head, cutting off the heads of their opponents, hmm. using. Um, Weapon, you know, really graphic. If you go into the Antifa propaganda, it, it is it's on par with some of the IS stuff, actually, Islamic State. Yeah, I mean, and so <laughs> you have testified on 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 Capitol Hill in Congress, mm -hmm. and I remember, you know, Gerald Nadler, who was the chairman of yeah, I see you smirk, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. And he just kind of poo-pooed, you know, this thing, said, there's no such thing as Antifa. Or you're sitting there and you hear the, uh, uh, the head, the director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, and he's asked about it. And he said, well, it's, it's just a theory. It's just an ideology. But what you're describing is an organization that is a terrorist organization and you know, after Hale, uh, they had talked about a trans day of rage. 
But yet no one is taking this organization seriously and no one is doing what is necessary to eradicate it. I, I mean, I don't know how you're supposed to cohabitate with an organization that says that, you know, either you accept our ways or we kill you. Uh, you know, and to say that they're anti-fascist, well, they're the fascists in and of themselves and what they believe. So why is it, I mean, uh, what has to happen for us to get the political savvy, I guess, to do what is right toward this organization? Because, look, uh, Andy, I got to tell you something. There are a lot of people that are not going to tolerate this very much longer. And you're going to see citizens that are going to protect themselves and protect their children, especially with the type of vile propaganda that you're talking about that's out there. Uh, what needs to happen is for law enforcement and prosecutors to do their job and actually prosecute these violent extremists for their criminal activities. Um, Georgia is the state of Georgia is really at the forefront of that. They've taken a lot of very um, horrific negative attention in the media because of the fact that they've been willing, um, um, the attorney general as well as local prosecutors have been willing to charge uh, far left violent extremist suspects um, in the cop city movement with domestic terrorism, for example, and setting and not granting bail for some of the ones that pose a significant risk to the public. These type of things when applied consistently will blunt the movement. The reason why they've been able to grow and able to carry out violence and chaos um, with impunity is the fact that they're not held to account for their criminal activities. Um, their epicenters of organizing are in places like I mentioned earlier, like Portland and Seattle, where you have a compromised um, district attorney's office and you have a city where leadership um, turns a blind eye because they're kind of all on the same side or politicians are afraid of how the media will will paint them as um, being too, too hard on racial justice protesters. That's the propaganda of the mainstream mm. media. Um, so one, yeah, it, it's about law enforcement and prosecutors using the tools that they have to actually prosecute. Um, two, it's about, um, and this is an issue beyond the um, uh, beyond reach for a lot of us, but it's about Democrats recognizing how dangerous this movement is. When you um, when you empower street thugs, uh, particularly those who are rather psychopathic and have, as part of their worldview, a desire to maim and kill the opposition, when you empower them, like that, might benefit you in the short run. Uh, ultimately, it's going to bite you. Uh, and um, so, you know, you're seeing a lot of ignorance coming from Democrat politicians saying, th like like the example of Nadler, saying things like, well, um, it's, a, it's a right wing myth and all that. And gen I, I genuinely believe that Nadler and others who say things like this say it because they're genuinely ignorant. Um, they read things from the New York Times, the Washington Post, or they're just given certain headlines um, you know, by their staffers, and that's the perception they get. Of course, if you read the mainstream media, you would come out, uh, you wouldn't think Antifa is a threat. You'd think that there were racial justice protests that sometimes turn violent. There's no organization behind any of this. It's a right-wing conspiracy that people like me and others who have been injured made up our injuries, faked it. I mean, all these type of lies 
are out there, which is, by the way, why I started off um, doing video and covering Antifa, because I, I needed the public to see what was actually happening and not read my words, for example. But unfortunately, what's happened to people like me and other video journalists is that we get assaulted, we get beaten, we get robbed, sometimes in the presence of law enforcement, and nothing happens. So, you know, the number of journalists who are actually on the ground doing this type of video coverage is, is getting smaller and smaller, unfortunately. Must we declare them a domestic terrorist organization? Um, well, the Trump administration did do that in 2020. That got a lot of media attention. But it's um, at the end of the day, it's it's kind of it's meaningless in that um, uh, the First Amendment protections are so wide that um, a government, the American government, cannot prosecute citizens for their allegiance or support for violent extremists, even terrorist groups. It's different when it's an international organization and you're providing support to an interna international terrorist group. But things like expressing support or even membership, part of um, domestic terror groups, that's, that's not outlawed. And so I think statements... Um, declaring antifa terrorism is it's really at the end of the day it's more about it's it's rhetoric and not really it's i mean to me it doesn't really matter what we call them it's it's you you look at the legislation legislation that are on the books um and you'll see that a lot of it will apply that these are organized gangs you can think of it that way you can think of uh, rico legislation or um, some states have domestic terrorism legislation such as state of georgia that really applies to them and um, whether you label them um, a domestic terrorist organization or not i think um, it, it really doesn't matter um, i think sometimes the naming we get lost in it because I mean, Antifa understand that really well. It's a propaganda tactic because Antifa call themselves anti-fascists and you can see the fruits of their labor is that uh, they are a totalitarian, violent extremist movement. Um, and so it's, you know, I when I describe the activities, I, I think I describe it simply as organized criminal violent activity. You know, I this is probably the only point I'll disagree with you on because when you look at an organization like the Oath Keepers, the left has said it's a violent extremist organization, they lock them up. You look at the Proud Boys, uh, it's a violent extremist organization, they lock them up. I have never seen the Oath Keepers or, or uh, Proud Boys firebomb anything. Uh, I've never seen them try to establish a, an autonomous zone or what have you. So I think that the danger that we have in America is that we allow the progressive socialist left to own a narrative and provide protection to people that, as you say, it seems to be supporting their ideology. And at some point in time, we've got to have the courageous leadership uh, to do what you just said, unmask them and hold them accountable for who they are and what they do. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people follow you? Where can people get your book, Unmasked, and uh, just stay in touch with what, all your great reporting? Well, first, thank you for having me on. Um, my work is available at andy-ngo.com. I'm, I'm a freelance and independent journalist, so um, 
you know, the support of your listeners is really important. Uh, my book is available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. It's available in, in, in hardcover as well as an updated paperback version. And how can they follow you at the Post Millennial? Um, well, just, just go to andy-ngo.com and you'll okay. see my articles listed there. Well, thank you so very much. And again, you know, it hurts my heart that you had to leave this nation uh, because your freedoms and your liberties were not protected. And uh, to me, that just says everything that is wrong about this organization, that they could force you to, to leave these great shores. And so we got some work to do. And God bless you and God keep you. Thank you so much, Andy. Thank you. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us for this episode of the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. Special thanks to Andy No for being here with us to share his thoughts, perspectives, and insights on these true domestic terrorist organizations. But they get a get-out-of-jail-free card because the leftists love them. And that is Antifa, James Revenge, BLM, you name it. And if you like this podcast, please click the like button and share it with others. And until next time, steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down